Good evening and welcome to the Lockdown Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLivingLoco and follow our podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. Today's episode is brought to you by Your Story Transmedia, a startup indie comic book, graphic novel, and video games publisher based in Winnipeg. Stay tuned to hear more about their exciting lineup of comic books and an upcoming video game. On tonight's episode, we're going to be taking a, a deeper dive into the Oliver ekman Larson trade saga because he actually has expressed a desire to go to two particular teams, both the Canucks and the Bruins, which would actually have significant implications for the Jets because right now Vancouver doesn't really have a whole lot of cap space, and they've got a number of players that they're considering jettisoning just to make room for whatever cap issues that they're going to have in the near future. If I'm the Jets, I'd be shopping big time because I think that what Vancouver will offer, and especially with some of the young players that they've got on their roster, I think that Winnipeg has a good chance to get a great deal on someone like Brock Besser. After discussing the ekman Larson trade stuff, we'll then talk about the kinds of returns that I want in a Patrick Line trade because I feel like we're getting close to what's going to happen next week, and I imagine that Line will not be a Jet after the first week or two of October. I think for all of us, none of us wants to see Line A go anywhere, but I think we all understand that this is sort of a business. The Jets might be past the point of no return, and it's mostly important now to start thinking about the future post-Line A. After that, we'll talk about what Line A will actually bring for each of these squads. You know, what particular skills and attributes will this team get, and is it going to be worth the, the expenses that they're going to pay? Starting us off, though, the ekman Larson saga is going to be a bit of an interesting one to watch because he's identified both Boston and Vancouver as his preferred destinations, and neither of those teams is in a great spot to afford his cap hit. Boston just said no to Tory Krug because, you know, Krug rejected like a $7 million offer for multiple years, and if that's a contract that he rejected, I can't really imagine what he was wanting in full. You know, Boston doesn't really have a whole lot of room to, to maneuver here, so if they bring in ekman Larson, you would have to think that they're probably looking to have at least some of the salary eaten. I don't know how you manage that, because I don't think Arizona wants to be retaining much of anything on this deal, and I also wonder what exactly Boston would send in return. You know, Jack Stunica might be part of the conversation, maybe Andre Kasha. I can't imagine that Boston is really looking to move out any of their decent forwards just because I feel like, aside from Studnika, who's probably a pretty good middle six prospect and, and likely NHLer right now, I don't know that they're comfortable letting any of their main contributors go. They're still playoff competitive, they'll still be making cup runs, and so I imagine that they'd be looking for guys who are, are maybe very good performers, but perhaps not really important to this core right now. That said, I just don't really think that this deal actually materializes because ekman Larson is really expensive. He's a bit of a project and a gamble, and I don't think that Boston really has the kind of cap space and time to be taking a, a bit of a flyer on an $8.5 million defenseman. Vancouver, on the other hand, will be looking for options on the back end, and ekman Larson is one of those interesting guys who could boost their team. And I think if you're thinking about what to do with the, the Canucks roster, obviously they're going to lose Tanev, I would imagine, because I don't think he's coming back unless they do resign him for a reasonable deal, but they also need to find money for Brock Besser and Troy Stetcher. Now, Besser seems to be the odd man out, and if you're the Jets, I think that this is something you consider taking advantage of. Besser is a guy who is always affecting uh, shooting percentages on his lines positively, even though his shot metrics and underlying numbers look to be about break-even. In my opinion, I think that that is perfect, because somebody who actually drives scoring ability without negatively impacting the rest of your game for me, is a really valuable piece. Like, if Kyle Connor had Brock Besser's profile, I would never complain about Kyle ever again. 
I think that Besser is a very talented scorer. He's worked really hard on his two-way game, and I feel like if he can stay healthy, he'd be an amazing scoring winger. He could easily get between 30 and 40 goals a season. And when he's on the ice, he seems to work well with his line mates. So I feel like if the Jets can get him for a reasonable deal, like, I don't know about a first-round pick, maybe look at exchanging one of your existing NHLers like Jack Roslovic instead, just because I feel like at 10th overall, I'm kind of looking for a center here. But Besser is a really great talent. Again, though, I think the health thing is a concern. So make sure that the price isn't too steep and kind of go from there. If Besser were to join Winnipeg, immediately I'd like him to be stapled to that first line with Shifley because I feel like Besser would actually help Mark a little bit, you know, and, and maybe take some of the defensive work off of Blake Wheeler. Besser is not exactly the world's greatest defensive presence in his own end, but he's certainly a lot more aware than Kyle Connor and probably Mark Shifley. You know, Shifley has changed his role a lot with this team, and, and maybe Besser and Shifley together doesn't work out, but I, I think we know that Kyle Connor and Mark Shifley doesn't really work out either, so... I think that you need to start thinking about ways to work around that and give a little bit more offensive support on that first line. As far as Stetcher is concerned, I think he needs to stay in Vancouver. I think that he's got a personal attachment to that fan base. The fans really back and support him. He seems to love playing for the Canucks, so I don't think that that is somebody that I'd be pursuing. The Bruins are an interesting conversation in, in terms of the whole OEL saga because I actually have the Bruins as a potential destination for Line A, and I was talking with some friends about what the return might be. I don't think that this is a particularly likely scenario, but if you started with like McAvoy and something else like Studnika as part of your deal for Line A, I feel like that would start to create more cap space, but I also feel like Line A is going to eat up that, especially in the near future. Line A in Boston's top six would be pretty disgusting. I feel like you would easily see him return to his 40 to 50 goal seasons. He'd be posting numbers like, you know, crazy, especially on that power play. I think on paper it's a great fit, and I actually think that Cassidy would really enjoy the way that Line A thinks about the ice. Cassidy's a very smart coach, he knows his approach works, and I feel like Line A gives him an extra dimension to the way that he wants to attack space. Notably the fact that Line A doesn't really need a whole lot of space to score. And then you add him to that first power play unit with Bergeron and, and Marchand and all the other players, and I feel like you just have a bonafide recipe for uh, basically a 30-40% to 40 power play throughout the entire season. That's, that's going to be really tough for teams to contain. And if Boston could be the one to make the deal, I feel like the Jets would actually get a pretty decent actual NHL return. It's probably not the most likely scenario, though, and up next we'll talk a little bit about what teams I could actually envision trying to make a play. I've talked about Columbus and LA before, and we'll revisit those and see if there's anything that the Jets could really deal with. But before then, I thought you should hear about a brand new product from our wonderful friends at Built Bar, Built Go. Every day, getting out of bed and, and getting ready for work is always a bit of a wall for me. I think we all know that waking up during quarantine isn't exactly the most exciting process. And that's why I use Bilko in the morning to break down all my barriers and get ready to go. What walls are you looking to kick down? If you're used to trying to break those walls with nasty energy drinks, Bilko is the perfect alternative, filled with healthy, long-lasting natural energy. Bilko comes in easy-to-take 1.5-ounce packages and comes loaded with protein, beta-alanine, B3, a kick of caffeine, B6, and B12. Bilko comes in three delicious flavors including peanut butter honey, chocolate coconut, and chocolate mint. For those of you who have listened to this podcast before, you know I already love Built Bar, so Bilko is right up my alley. It's 5-hour energy without the same crash, and it's natural, so it's better for your body. Best of all, you can even save a little bit of money by giving Bilko a shot. Head on over to BiltGo.com and use promo code LOCKED, and you'll get 30% off your next order. Again, that is promo code LOCKED for 30% off at BiltGo.com. Let's go! 
If you follow my personal Twitter, you know that I've been a bit of a geek even before I was a hockey nerd. You know, I certainly liked comics. When I was a kid, I watched a lot of anime and played some video games. So I'm always looking for new multimedia experiences and things with a unique flavor. And that's why Your Story Transmedia caught my eye. They're a startup indie comic book, graphic novel, and video games publisher based in Winnipeg. They've just recently put out a brand new lineup of comic books, including their flagship comic, The River Knows, which is a hard-boiled detective story set in Winnipeg during the 1960s. It features supernatural elements and mixes a couple of different things that you might find a little bit familiar. It's got vibes of X-Files, Mad Men, and Sin City kind of rolled up into this unique package. There's some lingering cosmic horror in the background until you catch that familiar sighting of Portage in Maine that reassures you that, yeah, it's set in your home. You can check out the very first issue for just $1.99 when you head over to yourstory.ca and pick up the ebook version. You can also check out their hard copy, limited edition first printing run of their 85 by 11 style comics for just $11.99. And if you're a gamer, be sure to keep an eye out for their upcoming published video game, Alien Machine Glow, which focuses on the hijinks of a cucumber farmer who gains the ability to see aliens. You can learn more about Alien Machine Glow as well as Your Story's other comic books by heading on over to yourstory.ca, and when you place an order, be sure to use one-time promo code JETS2020 to get 50% off your order. Again, that is one-time promo code JETS2020 to get 50% off your order. Welcome back to the Locked on Winnipeg Jets podcast. Earlier we were talking about some of the Line A stuff, and obviously I don't really enjoy thinking about Line A wearing a different jersey, but at this point we're going to have to start thinking about it as a realistic possibility. And obviously the first part about thinking uh, in terms of Line A's future is what do we get in return for trading him away? And I think the first team that I kind of circle to as a trade partner would be Carolina. Now Carolina is a really tricky prospect because I think a lot of what they offer is going to be hard to pry out. If I'm the Jets, though, I think my asks are immediately starting with players like Nietzsche and prospects like Jake Bean. Nietzsche, for me, is a really intriguing center. I think that he's got a lot of offensive potential, and already in limited sample sizes, he's been something of a minor star. Carolina's got plenty of center depth, and I think that they'd probably be looking to offload somebody like Vincent Trocheck and a few other guys like that, but if I'm the Jets, I'm looking younger. You know, Trocheck will be uh, an NHL participant and a pretty decent second-line center, but he's not the kind of player I want long-term. If a team is asking me to give up a 50-goal score, especially somebody like Patty, who's probably going to tear it up as soon as he gets put on a line with Sebastian Ajo, you know, I just don't really see any way that I want an older NHLer who's probably not going to be that great, at least compared to what I'm giving up. And so Nietzsche's for me would be a primary target. I think that Nietzsche's has a lot of potential. He's been a monster everywhere he's been, and I think he'd be an amazing fit alongside Nikolai Ehlers. You have those two creating offense in the attacking areas, I think especially in tight spaces. You're going to have a good time. On the defensive side, Brett Pesci would be fine. He's a really nice two-way transitional D, and he's very good at shutting down opposing skaters in his own end, so I'd be fine with that. Obviously, the package would need to include a couple of other things, but Pesci being one of the focal points, I could live with that. I do also have an interest in Jake Bean. I think Bean's a really talented NHL prospect in the wings. He brings plenty of attacking prowess. I think he's got a, a very good head on his shoulders. He makes smart decisions. He's a smooth skater. There's just a lot to like in his all-around package, and I feel like he's got second pairing at least in his future, if not top pairing duty down the road. The problem is, is I don't think Winnipeg is getting any of these players out of there easily. You know, NHLers like Trocek and, and Brett Pesci, I feel like Carolina would be more willing to deal. I'd also imagine that they'd try to offer the Jets someone like Brady Shea instead. But I'm really kind of honing in on these younger players and prospects because I know I said that I didn't want futures earlier, but when the futures are kind of guys who are on the fringe and cusp of making it and are as good as Nietzsche and Bean are, I think you make an exception. 
And speaking of exceptions made for futures, I feel like if you're talking to the Los Angeles Kings, it's got to start with second overall. You know, if you're talking about Quinton Byfield for line A, that I think is starting to get to the realm of where I feel comfortable making a deal for future prospects. As much as I love line A, there's not much I wouldn't give for a shot at Byfield. I think that Quinton is one of the best young prospects the league has seen in some time. He brings an incredibly rare mixture of physical traits, skill sets, and offensive production, especially in that league that he's in. And if I recall correctly, I don't think the team he's playing for in the CHL is actually particularly good. The rest of the team doesn't really leave a whole lot of options for the Jets to acquire unless you're interested in, you know, guys who are decent like Sean Walker, but probably not what you trade line A for. It'd have to be a significant package, you know, Rasmus Kupari being part of it, maybe Gabe Velarde. But, you know, Velarde has a lot of injury concerns, so I'm not that interested in bringing him in. You know, as talented as he is, again, probably not who I'd focus on. Jarrett Anderson Dolan might be interesting, but these are a lot of prospects who, for me, are, are good and talented, but maybe not on the kind of level that I'm looking for if you're exchanging a generational goal scorer. From Columbus, that one gets even harder because the only name I really circle to is Pierre-Luc Dubois. Again, I've mentioned that they're not going to give him up, and I feel like that's going to be the end of that discussion. You know, they'll, they'll probably offer somebody like Josh Anderson, Zach Wierenski, or Seth Jones, and I just don't have an interest in any of those players. Somebody once asked me why Calgary maybe hasn't been included in this conversation, and I feel like the Flames don't really have anything that the Jets are willing to take a flyer on, other than guys like Rosmus Anderson, um, maybe Johnny Goudreau, and some of these players who I think are already going to be key contributors. I think the Flames are going to want players that they don't see as long-term parts of the future. If I were the Jets, Rosmus Anderson, Dylan Dubé, and something else would be my starting point. I feel like that's probably more than what they want to pay, and if that's kind of where they're sitting, I don't, I don't think that the Jets are going to really have a long conversation, because I don't think Winnipeg is going to be making a rash decision here. From what it sounds like, the Jets are going to be patient and try to seed out the best offer that they think is, is the most valuable, and with how many teams are already calling on Patrick, I feel like it's just a matter of time before somebody gives the Jets an offer they can't refuse. I really hate putting it in those terms, because I feel like talking about Line A getting traded is already painful enough, but... This is kind of the reality of the situation, so you've got to make the best of it. Hopefully, Shovel Day Off doesn't make a bad trade and, you know, puts us in a bit of a hole because we have a lot of needs, and Line A going is not going to solve very many of them unless the Jets do this right. Up next, we'll talk a little bit about what Line A's fit might be, especially for some of these teams. You know, what is he going to bring? What kinds of attributes will they make use of? And who stands to benefit the most from his presence? Welcome back to the Locked on Winnipeg Jets podcast. On this closing segment, I thought I'd talk a little bit about what Patrick Laney brings to his new team that he's likely to have by the end of the next couple of weeks. And I think the first team that immediately comes to mind is going to be Carolina. The Canes for a long time seem to be pushing up this hill where they're a really good team that's an analytic starling. They seem to do just about everything right in creating offense, but there's something still missing from this team, whether it's been goaltending or goal scoring. And I feel like Laney is the most natural solution to resolving at least one of those issues. Line A is a remarkable finisher, and if he was tired of playing with guys like Cody Eakin and Brian Little here in Winnipeg, he'll absolutely have some top-line centers to work with when he moves to Carolina. You put him with Sebastian Ajo again, and I think you're going to have a really good time. I think that those two have a lot of natural chemistry from their days playing with Team Finland. They're both seemingly very good buddies, and I feel like in terms of locker room fits and organizational fits, there couldn't be a better match for Line A than going to the Canes. But, of course, that, that kind of hinges on Carolina being willing to pay whatever the Jets are going to ask for him because it ain't going to be cheap. 
Boston, of course, would be thinking similar things just because I think the Bruins are, are actually pretty good at scoring goals. They don't tend to have that sort of issue. And they've certainly got a very good goaltending duo. Uh, and, and I don't think that they're too concerned about that. But Lonnie adds a next level dimension to their attack that I think that they would love to have. You know, the way that they play, they like to mix it up in the low slot area. They're always looking for second chance opportunities, and they like to use a lot of cross-seam passing, which opens up offensive opportunities for guys like Marchand, who loves hanging around the net area. Line can be a totally different dynamic for this team because he doesn't actually have to be anywhere near the net to score. His shot allows him to score from just about any distance inside the offensive zone, and that's something that I think Boston hasn't always had. If you add that sort of unique element to a line like Bergeron and Marchand, immediately the amount of threats that opposing defenses will have to account for exponentially increases. Because not only do you have to worry about Bergeron and Marchand working around the net area, as soon as they find an open passing lane and they see Line trailing in, he can just slap one from distance and score easily. The same goes for the already great Bruins power play, which already has plenty of scoring options. Adding Line just makes that unit an almost unstoppable mess, and I feel like if you're looking at, at that kind of cost for what Line will bring to the Bruins, I think Boston would be willing to pay it. I just don't know that they actually have enough assets to pull a deal like that off. LA is basically looking for talent just about anywhere they can get it. I think the Kings are, are better than they get credit for, but they're also not a particularly good team. They've got a lot of aging veterans like Andre Kopitar, uh, Dustin Brown, and a number of other players who are probably well past their peaks, but Kopitar, even now, is still a pretty dynamic offensive threat and a really great transition presence. So, Liney for the Kings obviously brings a ton of goal-scoring talent. I feel like he is a very smart player who fits the way that Todd McClellan would want to be coaching this team. And while the Kings have been able to generate a lot of offensive opportunities, I think one thing that they can't really do is actually score. So Line again, brings that kind of presence. I think the question is, do you think Line is worth more than Quinton Byfield? And I think at this stage, it's really tough debate because it depends on what you think Byfield's going to be at, at a future date. A lot of prospects are always, to some degree, a little bit overvalued, especially in comparison to actual NHLers. But Byfield, for me, is a very rare prospect and somebody with like a, a ceiling that you really have to take into account as part of this whole deal. And for me, I just don't think that LA has enough to really pull this off. I think that they've got a lot of promising prospects and certainly one of the best pipelines in the NHL, but it's because they've sucked for so long. They're a team that genuinely needs almost all of their prospects to pan out, and obviously that's a very dicey gamble. Liney's not a center, so he doesn't immediately fit one of their most pressing needs, and so for me, I just feel like being a, a winger is kind of a luxury for this team, and, and obviously they could use some really high-end scoring wings, but not right now. I think it's a bad time for the Kings to really be considering a deal like this, especially with how fragile their situation is. I think Carolina seems like the most likely destination. There could be a couple of outside players like Philadelphia trying to make a play. The Flyers giving a Sanheim plus would be interesting. Maybe we can get Sanheim and Morgan Frost plus out of that deal, but I don't really know what exactly they'd be willing to offer us. Kind of hard to say because I feel like the Flyers are in a really good competitive state and a lot of their players like Sanheim are starting to prove themselves to be key contributors. Whatever happens, the Jets need to get the most value for this deal because I'm going to be very heartbroken and I, I need to see really good progress from this team going forward. The Jets have piddled around way too long, and honestly, even getting to this point of trading away Patrick Liney feels like a bit of a slap in the face. But if they get a nice trade return, I'll feel at least a tiny bit better about it. That's going to do it for tonight's episode. Before you log off, be sure to check out the Locked On National Podcast hosted by Sarah Avampato. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great night, and go Jets go.